Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Inside Asperger Studio Stories. Let me ask you a question. What do you get when you take someone who's got two bachelor degrees already and going for her third and has a sense of humor and loves to tell stories? Well, of course, you get Madonna Kilpatrick. That's who she's going for her third um, bachelor's degree in molecular biology. She's got a podcast of her own and she's also on the spectrum. So sit back, relax and grab your favorite beverage and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today I'm joined in this episode of Stories with Madonna Kilpatrick, who is on the spectrum and has her own podcast as well. So welcome to the show, Madonna. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited so, that we could finally make this work. <laughs> yeah, it's finally excited to have you on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Gosh, um, well, I'm... A transplant. I've been all over the country, but I was born in South Carolina and I'm presently he- headquartered uh, in Seattle. Well, right outside of Seattle. But you know how when people live in New York City and they, they live in Queens or Brooklyn, they say they live in New York City and then you find out they live in Brooklyn, which is totally fine. <laughs> I live on the east side of Seattle. And so it's just easier to say that I live in Seattle. Um, but my uh, I end up traveling around the country a lot, uh, which gives me a lot of opportunity to, to look at things. And, and ever since I studied anthropology and I, when I studied anthropology, I focused on media studies, but ever since I started traveling across the country more and more, it's really given me a unique perspective, I guess, on the, the way, the different ways that people live in the country. And so I, I like that I have a unique viewpoint because of my status on the spectrum, but I'm also really liking just the perspective that I'm gaining on just how different and diverse everyone's thought processes really are. Um, when I'm not traveling and I'm not traveling at present, <laughs> uh, I'm studying molecular biology at Bellevue College. Um, and as much as I hate it right now, my podcast off the spectrum and my journal off the spectrum <laughs> are in a state of hiatus while I'm figuring out my academic schedule. I'm throwing up a couple of posts this weekend. I believe we're recording on January 23rd, uh, but it's been sporadic so far, which is very frustrating to me because I've missed the opportunity to be creative over the past couple of years. I'm usually a stage performer. I do stand up and storytelling and mm-hmm. a lot of children and musical children's and musical theater uh, in Seattle. But ever since we've shut down, there haven't been a lot of live performances. And it's kind of frustrating for people who really, really enjoy expressing themselves. (laughs) No wonder why when I was listening to your podcast, it sounded like 
you were telling a story almost. Oh, yes. Well, that's my hope um, because the journeys are off the spectrum. I originally uh, called my journal, <laughs> I based it off of a, a, the title of a Lily Tomlin one woman show called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. And I don't want to be condescending about it anymore, but I really enjoy looking at the world and looking at the differential of perspectives. I remember when I was really, really young kid, that show Fraggle Rock that they've rebooted mm -hmm. recently and uh, his uncle traveling Matt, who went into outer space in the world of the silly people. And if you can remove yourself from the human perspective that we're, that we take for granted and, and look at the world in its, really for just how bizarre it really is and and examine it from an entirely objective viewpoint you can appreciate more about the world around you than you would have been able to otherwise and i really like the opportunity to do that i just don't have as much of an opportunity as i would like anymore because of the academic schedule but again i'm also really enjoying the academic schedule too i just i guess i wish there were more hours in the day <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what's funny is when I went to school and when I came back, people asked me, why did I take the harder classes instead of taking easy ones? And what they don't realize for someone like us on the spectrum is easy. You don't learn anything when you're taking the harder classes and you're, you're being pushed and you're being challenged. That's when you start to learn. I know. And I one of the elements of the MBS molecular biosciences program that I'm in. Um, I, I hate to think that I'd gotten this far in my academic career without actually experiencing any academic challenges, but I found myself just frustrated to the point of panic in the early days of my actual hands-on laboratory work because for the first time I had, I had absolutely no idea what was going on and it was simultaneously just terrifying and exhilarating. But it made me realize that before that, in all of my other classes, I was really just going through the motions and jumping through the hoops. And it was it wasn't just boring. It was almost a little insulting that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I hate that, that this is always a kind of think about people autistic people that that we're not concerned with other people's feelings and and the contrary is true i i don't want to accidentally insult anyone with anything that i might be saying i don't i don't want it to seem as though the lack of challenge and my feeling insulted was because anyone was intentionally insulting me i just i i recognize you know, kind of when we get into the puzzle piece debate and how there are plenty of people on the spectrum who don't like using the puzzle piece as a symbol for autism. Well, because I'm oh. one of those people now. I mean, I because yeah. I, I've been educated. I have a friend of mine who's been on the spectrum for a while and I never knew why people were against it until he says the puzzle piece mm -hmm. represents accept, uh, acceptance. 
He's like, we don't well, need acceptance. We need awareness. People need oh, to yes. be aware of us. Well, I like to, if I can think about it uh, this way, and, and I absolutely agree with you, because I mean, for, for people who aren't aware, uh, just to revisit, and we can go back and look up the, the name of the fellow who pioneered ABA therapy, which is not, mm-hmm. uh, is the same person who pioneered gay conversion therapy, and these things don't oh. work. They, they function under the fundamental conceit that if you don't like someone's personality, you just wipe it out and build a new one. And that's kind of horrifying. And so he was the one who first uh, suggested this puzzle piece as a symbol for autism because it was such a puzzling condition. And yeah. I absolutely agree with you that uh, as autistic people, we don't care to use that puzzle piece to describe or define ourselves. Now, let me However, ask you something. Well, but if I could uh, just go, uh, on, go, go on, go on. Finish as as we use that uh, the neurodiversity infinity symbol to define mm-hmm. ourselves. I'm more and more seeing autistic allies continuing to use the puzzle piece, and. I, I look at that, and, and when I think in terms of the evolution of thought, um, the puzzle piece for them, for the allies of autistic people, it does kind of seem like an appropriate symbol because we're not the ones who are puzzling, you know, and they are the ones who are puzzled by us. They are the mm-hmm. ones who want to know more. And the puzzle piece as a symbol for an ally, I, I can kind of get behind that and see that as, as their way of saying, we want to know more. Yeah. I as mean, long as, as long as that was what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. When I first started with my blog before my podcast, I had the puzzle piece up mm-hmm. and my friend's like, why do you have that? And I'm like, well, he's like, he's like the community is against it. So I changed it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden with my podcast and the fact that I'm on TikTok as well, I've noticed a lot of people don't like the term Asperger's. No, um, Hans Asperger uh, was a Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> but my feeling is, listen, that is the past. Yes, I understand he was a, he was a nasty person and he coined the term, but it's over with things have changed. And I have people saying you can't use the term Asperger's in your name because it's harmful and hurtful. I'm like, well, that's your choice, your feelings. Stop putting your agenda on me. Well, there are a couple of different ways of looking at that. I was just thinking about the other day um, I saw somebody uh, the, the the present heated state of debate being what it is. I saw a tractor trailer and the the payload, uh, the driver had spray painted on the side of their payload. Uh, my freedoms don't end where your fear begins. It was something like that. And uh, I, I, I don't agree with that because one of the functional conceits of civilization is to avoid making other people afraid. <laughs> and so the idea that I, you know, I'm not allowed to just swing my fists willy nilly because I could hit somebody in the face with them, mm-hmm. which isn't fair or right. And so the conceit that my rights absolutely end where someone else's safety begins. 
And when we talk about the, you know, Asperger's, the, the terminology that's used to describe people on the spectrum and what we use to describe ourselves versus what other people use to describe us, it really comes down to what's making us safe, what's keeping us from being safe, what's giving us agency in the world, and then Really, you know, how much do both sides of the argument really understand where the other side is coming from? At the end of the day, this is all about wanting to bridge these communication gaps. And it's not out of a sense of antagonism that that we seek to ally ourselves and use symbols to communicate. And and so, you know, I, I do become concerned when I look out at the autism community and I mean, because there, there are subtle little details about the way we present ourselves and about the way that we speak. For example, I all, you know, I, I don't always refer to myself as an autistic person, though I do prefer that because it's not a disease that I have. It's a thing that I am. No, I usually, when someone asks me, I say I have ASD. Mm-hmm. But even the then, it starts to get problematic because we get into the realm of what qualifies a disorder. I mean, yeah, that's another thing I've seen a lot in a lot of the Facebook groups. I've seen people say, I don't like the term. I don't like the term disability. I don't call my son and say he's got a disability. Right. And I'm like, well, then there's the problem there. There lies the problem because it is a disability. It is a mental developmental disability. You call you gotta acknowledge that it's a disability if you want support. Well, that yeah, and there there is the uh, the cultural framework conceit because if you acknowledge it as a well, if if you frame it as a disability for the purposes of receiving support it then diminishes your status in society. So Mm -hmm. we run into some very difficult issues because uh, fundamentally, I can't think of autism as a disease or a disability. I think of it as a differential operating system. The the idea that neurotypical people are running a version of Windows and we're mm -hmm. running a version of Mac OS. (laughs) Yeah, the the old standard... um... Mac versus OS, Mac exactly. versus PC, PC, Windows versus Linux, uh, Linux right. versus Mac. And the the idea that we, the idea that a person needs different considerations in the community is not necessarily a function of their being a lesser person. Well, I mean, a I person, have a great, I have a great shirt that I got from a woman who's got kids on the spectrum. She's, I'll give you the link later. She's in Australia and she sells autistic and ADHD neurodivergent shirts. And one of the shirts I got from her says, I'm wired different. That's a, the exact terminology that I find myself using. It's it's we're, our systems are wired differently. And that differential is not necessarily a disorder or a disease. When you consider a person who uses a wheelchair is not necessarily disabled if they live in an environment where they can access everything in their wheelchair. See, I think the problem is, and I had a, and I was, 
and a friend of mine brought this up. He's one of the biggest uh, um, ASD advocates in England, and he's got a huge YouTube following. Is it's an invisible disability? People look at us and they don't see that disability. Yeah, exactly. It's almost There's- the imposter syndrome because they see us and are at our best, but they don't see us at our worst. Right, because we're really good at hiding and masking, and yes. they they absolutely take our masking uh, tendencies for granted. And uh, you know, I take my masking tendencies for granted too. But mm. I, I, <laughs> you. you I, I don't know if it's fair to say that I prefer masking. It's just that I had the uh, the fortune to grow up with some cotillion training. And and one of my special interests growing up as a child was uh, etiquette and protocol and uh, uh, studying the Miss Manners and Amy Vanderbilt uh, uh, good manners guides, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I found it very comforting that there was kind of a, a playbook for human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, sometimes I accidentally sound like girl Frazier, I guess, but uh, I I find what I'm doing isn't necessarily masking. I'm not trying to deceive anyone, but I I have a certain social framework, a, a personality scaffolding that I erect when I need to support myself enough to go outside and deal with other humans. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I'm totally against, and you'll hear this a lot brought up in my in my shows depending on who i talk to is i'm totally against masking for the reasons that why should we pretend to be something we're not yeah number one it is exhausting because absolutely because you go out and the minute you step outside your door you're masking until you come home and you're wiped Right. And then you got to find your sensory home, your little sensory area to wind down. And get your spoon meter refilled. Yeah. And, yeah. Get, and it and takes so it, it, a I lot mean, out of you. Yeah. I mean, it begs the question I, as I, as I start to analyze my behavior and think in terms of the rigidity of my protocol practices, am I really masking at all? Yeah. <laughs> or is my, my day to day behavior just, uh, you know, it, it's certainly overly poised. I think <laughs> I mean, a friend of mine had told me, I don't know how you how I got on disability, considering my version of autism is very minute. I'm almost on that fence between NT and ASD. I can live both sides. I have really I've only had one meltdown in my entire life. Oh. I have I do have um acute sense of smell and hearing. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't have an in the version to light or taste. Sure. I do, but my major problems are spatial mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. filtering. Sure. And I mean, I I, I might, you know, you might argue out in the terrain that I present as fairly neurotypical, but I I, sure I have meltdowns all the time. (laughs) I do have sensory overload issue at times where I'm where I'm just oh, and I can read my body very well. Yes. I envy people who can who have a, a good sense of their body read and they know exactly what their sensory sensitivities are because sometimes I still flounder and I have to really identify what it is that set me off because I don't immediately know. Um, 
anyways, let's get mm-hmm. on to the real questions at hand. Oh, so where did you grow up? Well, like I said, I had, uh, grew up. I, well, it's not hard to say equally grew up in South Carolina and Seattle. I've lived in Seattle longer, but I have childhood memories of South Carolina and I still have a little bit of a southern accent that doesn't go away. <laughs> so what was it like growing up and going to school with autism? Well, since I did not know uh, that I was autistic until I was an adult, uh, weird, we can go with weird. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities uh, because of the cultural frameworks of the South that I don't think that I would have had if I'd been a young child in Seattle. For example, uh, uh, the, the cultural frameworks of churches are such that you have a lot of access to artistic and creative endeavors uh, through your church. And mm-hmm. one of the things about a kid in the South is if they're weird, you, you can't put a finger on it because you don't know what autism is. Uh, if you've got a weird kid, you throw them in the theater and they become creative. And <laughs> that's, that's where they threw me. And that worked out great. And, um, you know, they never knew that I was and I, I sometimes wonder just how different my academic uh, career would have been because uh, they might have tracked me into special education programs. But because they didn't know that I was autistic, I routinely scored in the 99th percentile wow. of all standardized testing and they always put me in advanced classes. And so I, I graduated with a 3.0 average from high school and I <laughs> uh, went on to college and I had the opportunities to advance myself academically, even though I have always kind of struggled with the dimensional frameworks that we associate with the <laughs> I kind of think of I have my interior mechanisms and then I have the primary dimension, which is this world we're all having to deal with. <laughs> all right. What motivates you, inspires you and drives you? Oh, gosh, could I put a finger on anything right now? It always seems like there's a will of the wisp in a particular uh, lyric from a song or a show that strikes my fancy. And then the frameworks of it really uh, inspire the things that I'm doing. Uh, I just got into uh, there's a the CBS show Ghosts that just started. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And that got me to see got me to look up the BBC version of ghosts, which is on HBO max. And they're such, they're very different shows, but they're so good that like, uh, like when you uh, see the music man and you realize the song 76 trombones and the song, good night, my someone are the same song. They're just in different tempos and they're both good songs. They're just very different. And, um, you know, so there will be subtle little things Mm-hmm. It's all I, I like to I like to describe it as a will of the wisp. Something catches me and then leads me down a path of information and knowledge. And every answer leads to five more questions. So all right. <laughs> what is the best compliment you've ever gotten? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> all right. I'm, it's still novel enough for someone to tell me that I'm pretty, that I still like it. but i always appreciate it when uh when people when people appreciate my intelligence because often uh you know if you lead with the fact that you're autistic or people can just straight up tell that you're autistic they're generally inclined to underestimate you or uh set very low expectations and so i appreciate it when people yeah I've had that experience. I mean, I graduated, I come home and I'm talking with a friend back at school 
And she's like, can I ask you a private, can I ask you a personal question? I'm like, sure. I'm an open book. We're friends. She's mm-hmm. like, do you have autism? And I was kind of thrown back. And I'm like, uh, yeah. What made you say that? She's like, well, I work with ki- younger kids who are on the spectrum and you exhibit some of their behaviors, mm-hmm. the over friendliness and not knowing what to say or what's appropriate and what's not. Right. I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you doing anything about it? I'm like, not really. You know, what would be the thing to do about it? Uh, I'm sorry. Is there some sort of a device that I should strap myself into? To <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry. Yeah. Am I doing something uh, wrong necessarily by exhibiting these behaviors? Or <laughs> no, no. She she meant well. I mean, I understand where she was coming from. She probably meant am I seeing a therapist or something sure. to help me out. I mean, school was tough for me, especially being thrown in. I went to school for my master's in England. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did something most probably most SBs wouldn't do. I, know, I literally I... threw myself across the sea into the most one of the most advanced topics I could take. Oh, yeah. And made friends with people from all over. Well, that's delightful. Anyway. Of course, I love any opportunity to go to England. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? Oh, what today? <laughs> or just in general? Oh, in general, I'm not sure I can pinpoint any particular failures. You always learn a little something new every time you make it weird in public accidentally. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. People don't respond well to that. Um, I'm I'm always courting a little bit of failure when you get up on stage and test out jokes at an open mic. You're like, okay, well, no, nobody liked that. Good. Okay, write that down. Good to know what doesn't work. And <laughs> I said in uh, scientific endeavors, when something doesn't work, you need to make sure that you write that down. No results are still results. <laughs> yes. And All so, right. yeah. Hard to say if there's necessarily a big failure, because honestly, every step of the way, there's been a little bit of a stumble. And every, you know how you'll have one of those little social stumbles and consciously, I'm sure no one has thought about it or will ever think about it ever again. But uh, it will wake me up in three o'clock in the morning in a state of just extreme shame. We need to change my name now. (laughs) Why? Oh, no, I ruined my social standing by saying the wrong thing. So, yeah, no one big failure. Lots of little ones. (laughs) Tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Gosh, do I have to know them personally? It's hard to say. Not personally. It could be anybody in your life. Gosh, a lot of autistic people. It's not it's not fair to point. At Brent Spiner, though, the actor is the one who plays the character of Data on Star Trek. (laughs) We all kind of (laughs) lean on that a little bit because that's that felt like a a litmus test to me when it those of us who've ever seen Star Trek The Next Generation and saw the character of Data, not necessarily the character of Spock in the original series, the character of Data and looked at the way that he was fascinated by humanity and human behaviors. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of a guiding point that like, there's nothing wrong with me because I don't get it. I'm trying to understand. And that's more than a lot of people are doing. Um, 
any other influential people in particular. And it's not that there aren't any, it's that there are so many, it's difficult to put a finger on them. But when I'm thinking in terms of autism in general, uh, it's hard to to point to real life role models because you're always looking at fictional characters because you don't really see, it hasn't been until recently that we've seen notable people identifying as autistic and giving you something to look up to. It's only a you know, kind of seeing people who maybe present as autistic and wondering if maybe they are. Um, but in terms of outside of outside of the autistic community, just in terms of uh, uh, inspirational on a, a personal level, uh, very inspired by Stephen Sondheim and uh, just a huge, gigantic body of work and the tremendous loss and the anger and frustration that that's a person that I'll never be able to work with. And um, I need to reach outside of the scientific community. I mean, who wasn't inspired by Betty White? I love vivaciousness. Um, but then there are also scientists, of course. I can't put a finger on a particular scientist because I was just writing a song about Democritus and his postulations and how they led to uh, Ernest Rutherford and Niels Bohr's, Neil Bohr, Niels Bohr's contributions uh, to physics and our understanding of science. And uh, so every scientist stands on another scientist's shoulders. And so all of the scientists ever, I guess, are very inspiring to me. All right. What makes <laughs> you feel inspired or like your best self? Oh, gosh. When I wake up calibrated well, when I have a good, uh, when I'm, when I wake up well calibrated and I have an agenda that does not get uh, sidetracked, I, I <laughs> when I'm able to follow through on my routines, I feel my best self. And when I feel my best self, then that's when I feel the best. All right. <laughs> Finish the sentence. I'm at my best when. I'm performing. All right. (laughs) If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell her? For God's sake, exercise more. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Please exercise more. The thing is, I did exercise. I was a dancer when I was in uh, high school, but I got a a bunch of, you you sprain your ankle, then you recover from that and immediately sprain the other ankle. And then you... Do us something else. And then I got in a car accident in college. And so Aye. my movement has been hindered, but oh gosh, please exercise more. Right. But uh, I mean, I, I, I inspired by something I read the other day that, you know, your future self isn't looking at you with disappointment. Your, your future self is looking at you with understanding for how difficult things were. And they're, they're just hoping that you do your best. <laughs> All right. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? (laughs) Well, I mean, just the, uh, you know, generally the uh, the frameworks of my uh, social media um, and uh, and blog and, you know, you want your URL on everything. But when it comes to the actual billboard, it's. (laughs) 
<laughs> the only thing I can think of what 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 uh, came to mind was I got asked the question of what what Disney princess would you be, and I had to think about it. And um, and Tinkerbell is not a princess, but no. I stand by it anyway. Okay. <laughs> and, and the idea that uh, that I'm Tinkerbell because maybe I'm constantly sprinkling chemicals on people, maybe I'm constantly getting stuck in keyholes. But one thing's for sure: if you don't applaud for me, I'll die. Okay. <laughs> what do you What do you think the world would look like in five years? I really, really hope it'll be cleaner. <laughs> All right. We're working on, you know, the people of science out here working on means of uh, uh, micro dredging plastics and particulate out of the water and cleaning the air and figuring out how to repurpose plastics and and uh, taking care of carbon emissions. I, I I have a bit of faith that things could be cleaner because we have cleaned them up before. But um, I, I, I have some optimism. If right. we stay on track and we keep a progressive mindset, I'm optimistic that things could be healthier and cleaner in five years. All right. <laughs> what was your favorite subject in school? Theater. <laughs> okay. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, gosh. Um, the, the functional nature of introvert versus extrovert, you know, there is a kind of a biological component to it. And when you're an extrovert, you're actually gaining energy from your social interactions. And when you're an introvert, you have that reserve of energy and you're spending it as you're interacting. Uh, and so I absolutely feel that I have the motivations of an extrovert, but I definitely have the biology of an introvert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a limit. All right. <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Well, not just the one thing. Gosh, I have this pantheon for which I'd like to be remembered. <laughs> Iconoclasticness is never one thing, is it? I want to cure disease. I want to help people live longer. I want to help usher in an era of peace. I want to write a Tony Award-winning musical. I want to sing songs and braid flowers into people's hair. But what do I want to be remembered for? Um, ultimately, I want to be remembered. And I want to be remembered fondly. I want to be remembered for loving people. And I want to be remembered because people loved me. Nice. <laughs> now, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now in life? In a plane. Um, <laughs> I'm presently, um, I'm in Florida, I'm in the Caribbean, and I did take a plane here. Uh, how did I get here? Um, well, you start in the theater, and then you take a right in anthropology. I kind of feel like I'm the... Um, I'm studying humans the way Jane Goodall studied chimps from a distance, squatting in the bushes with a clipboard, waiting <laughs> for them to come to me. But, um, and uh, 
you just realize that you're fascinated with humans as a whole and then kind of lose your professional motivation and direction and then get locked in during an international pandemic and watch people suffer and die, go crazy and decide that you need to study biology and, and uh, uh, longevity processes. <laughs> All right. Now we get to the more fun questions, the questions people really want to hear. Okay. What is your favorite word? Why? What is your least favorite word? Of the words I'm willing to say right now. Um. <laughs> you can say anything you want. Oh, no. I mean, uh, there are words. There are some words that are my least favorite that I that I absolutely will not say, but we can go. Um, gosh, what's my least favorite? Oh, right now, the only one I can think of is moist. Nobody right. likes that. What Why? turned you all right. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? I guess music primarily. All right. What turns <laughs> you off? Oh, gosh. Uh, the, the, the word that came to mind was intolerance, which seems like just such a pithy thing to say. But if we're all having a good time, but then somebody suddenly turns it hateful, that's uh, right there. All right. What's your favorite cuss word? I don't do that on. <laughs> Both of my parents were Sunday school teachers and my mother was the director of education ministries at our church. My, my mother was the Sunday school principal. I think I'm biologically incapable of swearing while there's a microphone on. All right. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Um. There's so many. How could I pick? I like a lot of different sounds. They all have their musicality. And so I know I can't pick a favorite sound. All right. What, what sound or noise do you hate? It, okay. Our neighbor comes home at like 1.30 in the morning with their car. I, you know, I appreciate that you like music in your car and you must be coming off of work, I'm assuming. Uh, but, but we're asleep and it's a small neighborhood. And when your car is running and you open the door and the sound blares outside of my bedroom window and wakes me up and wakes my mother up and the, uh, and the dog barks, that, that's my least favorite sound. That. All right. What's your favorite color? <laughs> Oh, it's there's green and purple and they fight. <laughs> All right. What's your least favorite color? Orange. And I, I feel bad for orange because of that, but it's the least one. <laughs> All right. What profession <laughs> other than your own would you like to attempt? I I'm kind of in multiple professions. So what would be one that I would like to attempt? Oh, gosh. Um Roller derby. <laughs> <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Oh, um, Republican strategist. All right. If heaven <laughs> exists, what yes. would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> oh, boy. Um <clears throat> Congratulations, you got the high score. <laughs> when you arrive at heaven, who would you like to meet? Oh, they're all lined up. 
<laughs> there's a pantheon of celebrities. There's the the loved ones who have preceded me. Uh, there's Democritus. I want to check in, particularly Democritus. I'm hung up on him. He's a a philosopher from uh, 2500 BC. Maybe not 25. I'll check that out. Uh, 2500 years ago, certainly. But he was a, a contemporary of Aristotle, and he was one of the first to postulate that atoms are mostly empty space and particles whirling around. But Aristotle, his more popular contemporary, said, no, it's there's earth, there's wind, there's fire and there's we've got we've got four elements and you're an idiot and you need to shut up. And because (laughs) of that, um, we have the the philosophers of the era um, quote Democritus, but mostly to say that they disagree with him and none of his writings, none of his total writings have survived. And so, you know, there's somebody that I'd like to check in with. See what's going on there. (laughs) What books do you recommend my audience read? Oh boy. Um, I am a disgusting, horrible, uh, grocery store, dime store, romance novel junkie. Uh, but other than those, uh, what moved me? The the novel Wicked, not the, the the I mean, I love the musical Wicked, who doesn't? But the the book series Wicked that I'm not completely through, very different and a very interesting approach to a female character and mm-hmm. to the Oz um, mythos. And it really just kind of takes a, a familiar cultural construct and makes you think about it differently. And it's very entertaining. Um, that was one book. Um, the first book that I read when I graduated from college, uh, was the hunger games and Mm. that was pretty good. (laughs) Uh, but I'm not going to recommend that one, actually. That was pretty, because uh, two just spring to mind that are more important. I mean, that was pretty important, but here's to me, more important to me. (laughs) One of them is, uh, um, Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s Breakfast of Champions. And that really spoke to me, the the rhythm of, and it's my understanding that it's different from his other books um, conceptually and the rhythms of it are very different from his other books. Uh, but it spoke to me and the the way that he would punctuate with drawings or cartoons. So it, said, it, it really um, expanded my view of the formats of storytelling. And the other one uh, is Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That was really, really definitive work for me, not just in the, the nature of his writing and and the Terry Gilliam movie, which it, it dovetails with it pretty neatly. Um, just the way that the book was made itself, the way he was he was given a task but he went off on a tangent and that tangent was so productive and philosophical and profound that it may have fundamentally changed the world in a lot of ways. And I feel like we as autistic people uh, have a lot to offer the world in that respect. All right. And finally, where can people find you on the web? <laughs> well, you'll find me at www.madonnaots.com, M-A-D-O-N-N-A-O-T-S.com. I have slightly more 
cumbersome URL that's off dash the dash spectrum.com. But Madonna OTS, that's where you can find me on the web and on Twitter and Instagram as soon as I get back to updating those things because college. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Madonna Kilpatrick podcaster, autistic, and one funny person. Thank you so much for being on the show, Madonna. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem.